Hey, this is our second Easter as a church. Yeah. Thank you guys for being part of what we're doing. I just want to say thank you to um, all of our director's team, um, all of our team leaders. If you're serving on any of our teams, thank you so much for all you do. Thank you to everyone that worked hard um, for this weekend. And thank you guys for um, uh, sewing financially into this ministry. We, c- we couldn't do this without you. And, and also just for being here. Honestly, just by you being in these seats is an encouragement to us. And we believe we're making a difference in the city. And you guys are all part of that. A win for this church is a win for you. It's a win for all of us. Amen. I got a message for you. It's called The Great Exchange. I want to talk about the cross. For the Christian, go ahead and put, we have that first picture. Go ahead and put that the picture. That is the cross, of course. You all are familiar with this. For the Christian, this is our symbol. This has become our symbol of redemption. This has become our symbol of victory. This is a symbol of God's love for you, for me. Greater love has no man than this, than a man that lay down his life for his friends. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before you ever did anything good or bad, Christ died for you and redeemed you. This is a symbol of our victory, of our redemption. I don't know if you've thought about this, though. I think it's kind of strange that a Roman instrument of torture and capital punishment would be our symbol of victory. It was for crucifying criminals and making a public display of them so other people would be discouraged um, for for doing whatever it was that they were doing. Um, It's kind of, if you think about it, the other other forms of capital punishment, we hang crosses on our walls, we have necklaces with crosses, but if you think about it, it's 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 an instrument of capital punishment. It would be kind of like if you had a, a guillotine like on your wall. Go ahead and put up that first picture. The sermon's already going awry, I know. This is a guillotine. They used to use this to execute people, right? Um, or the next one, you guys are familiar with this, the electric chair. I mean, this is, this is morbid stuff, you know? Uh, go to the next one, lethal injection. This is kind of a more modern way that people are executed. And then go to the last one, death by firing squad. Can you, can you imagine if, if that was our symbol of victory? It's kind of like what the cross is like. Imagine if this was our symbol of victory. Like you have your family... Um, family photo, you know, family reunion right here, and you're like, and right next to this is a death by firing squad. This is a symbol of our victory, right? <laughs> that would be weird. That would be weird. But if you think about it, the, I'm saying this to say that sometimes we get a kind of a sanitized version of the cross, and we see crosses, and we're thinking, oh, that's nice, and that's neat. Listen, the cross wasn't nice and neat. The cross was ugly. The cross was ugly, my wife and I have a, um, a cross wall in our house. We, I took a picture of it. Go ahead and put that one up. Um, it bothers me that some of these are skew, so I apologize. But our front door, I know, I'm just, one on, okay, I'll go fix those when I get home later. But our door is like to the left here, and, you know, when people slam the door, sometimes they fall down, sometimes they get, you know, askew. Now, you might think, like, well, we really like crosses because we have so many. I think my wife bought one of these, and then someone was like, oh, you like crosses. So then we would get them as gifts. These are all gifts. Like, we just keep putting them up. And now we have enough. Don't buy us any more crosses, please. That's enough. We have crosses we haven't hung up, too. That's just because people keep giving them to us. <clears throat> but what I want to say about the cross is the cross was actually much more severe 
then the guillotine, the electric chair, lethal injection, firing squad. They're all instruments of torture or, or death. Those above are instruments of death. But death by crucifixion was more severe than all of these. Um, all the ones I mentioned above, they're, they're actually very, very fast. They kill someone very quickly. Death by crucifixion was much different. It was slow. It sometimes took days for the person to die as they're crucified. It was obviously very, very painful. Um, the ones I mentioned above, if you do feel pain, it's only for like a very short time. Um, the cross was humiliating. They, they took victims, stripped them naked, crucified them, and hung them in a public place as, as an act of humiliation. And eventually the person would die of exhaustion or asphyxiation. I can't do it again. Dang it. I tried on the first service. I couldn't say that word. You would suffocate. You would eventually die of being of suffocation. Because I know the first service I couldn't pronounce that word. Sometimes I, I have no problem pronouncing these words until you get up here. And then all of a sudden it goes out of your head. So anyway, the cross was more severe than all of those. The person would have to, literally, if they're nailed to the cross, they would have to push up to take a breath, and eventually they would die of exhaustion and suffocate. How did something so as morbid and as cruel and as humiliating as the cross become our symbol? It's our symbol of victory. It's our symbol that we've defeated the enemy. And we're going to talk about that today. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 25. This is the Apostle Paul speaking here. And actually, I never do this uh, as a church, but actually, um, for this portion of Scripture, it's kind of our main focus of this message. I want to have us all stand and just kind of, in honor of the Word of God, the living, the living Word, I want to just read this and just put yourself in a receiving posture of this. 1 Corinthians 1, 17 through 25. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the, intelligent, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of the world, God through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Verse 22, Jews demand a sign, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You can be seated. That's the cross. That's the cross. The cross is the wisdom of God, and the cross is the power of God. There are three responses to to the preaching of the cross. I want to, and Paul talked about all these in that verse that we just read. I want to just, just highlight these for you today. There are three responses to the preaching of the cross. The first response is that it's offensive. Many people are offended at the preaching of the cross. The cross is offensive for four different reasons. Let me, let me tell you what these are. The first reason the cross is offensive is that the cross declares that you are a sinner. Okay, people don't like, 
People don't like typically to be told that they're sinners or that they're off. But the cross declares to the world, you're a sinner. Romans 3.23, it says this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. From the best of us to the worst of us. We've all sinned, we've all messed up, we've all gone astray, right? That word uh, to come short, it just means, it's an archer's term, it means to miss the mark. We've all missed the mark, we've all fallen short of God's standard of perfection. The second reason the cross is offensive is that it declares that you cannot self-rescue from this problem. It, It declares you can't, listen, God, Father God would be a bad father if he put Jesus on the cross and there was another way for you to get to heaven, right? There's no other way for you to get to heaven. There's no other way for you to self-rescue. Hebrews 9.22 says this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. People like to say, I'm a good person. Uh, I, I like, I, I want to try harder. I wanna, you mean I can't clean myself up? You mean I can't do good deeds to try to self-rescue from this problem? No, the cross removes that from you. It says you cannot self-rescue from this problem. The chasm is too wide. The deficit is too great. The third reason why the cross is offensive is that it offers grace and forgiveness to all who would receive it by faith. Some people don't like the fact that grace and mercy is extended to all of mankind. I, uh, I led a missions trip years ago to, to Vietnam and I had a girl on my team, um, and you know, you, when you do a mission trip, you raise money, so you send out letters like, hey, I'm going on this mission trip, will you support me? And this girl said her dad would not support her going to Vietnam on a mission trip because he fought in Vietnam and he hated the Vietnamese. He had a hatred in his heart, and he's like, those people aren't worthy, they shouldn't hear this message, they're not worthy of the gospel. Some people don't like the fact that this gospel's for everyone. I don't know if you're here and there's a certain people group or a person maybe <laughs> that you don't want to receive this grace and mercy, but it is for everyone. It's offensive because it offers to forgiveness to all who would simply believe. In Jesus' day, um, the Jews didn't like very much that grace would be offered to Gentiles. This was kind of a subject in the early church when, when, when uh, non-Jews became filled with the Holy Spirit. They kind of wrestled through this like, oh, wait, you mean God wants to save other people besides the Jews? It's for the whole world. You know, they kind of had to wrestle through what that looked like. They weren't used to the idea of like, this is for everyone. <clears throat> Number four, the reason why the cross is offensive is the cross declares that Jesus is the only way. I already mentioned that. People don't like to hear that Jesus is the only way. They like to find their own little whatever your way is, right? Acts 4.12, Peter's speaking of Jesus. He said, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind which we must be saved. So the first response to the gospel, the preaching of the cross, is offense. It's a stumbling block for some. It's a stumbling block for the self-righteous. The second response to the preaching of the cross is that it's foolish. Some people just think that that's just foolish. You tell them Jesus came, he died, my sin. Like, what? That, that's just foolishness. Typically, it's many times, it's, it's people who are very intellectual. The gospel seems foolishness many times to the intellectual mind. What I want to say to you today about that is your heart will take you places that your head can't fit. Your heart will take you places your, your, your brain cannot, doors your brain cannot go through. 
God is, God is not meant merely just to be understood, but your heart will take you places. You have to, you have, to have a revelation of this to get it. And, to the, and to, at the time, the Greeks didn't understand it, didn't make sense. It was foolishness to them. How many have heard you present the gospel and people say, hey, this is, this is foolishness. What is this? 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, but the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. It takes the Spirit of God to know God. It takes the Spirit of wisdom and revelation to know God. And the natural mind, the natural mind can't comprehend and grasp the things of God. This is why the Bible says that we need, even believers, we have to renew our mind, right? Even believers have to renew their mind. The natural man mind cannot understand it. We have to renew our minds. The last response to the preaching of the cross is this. It is the wisdom of God and the power of God. The cross is offensive to some. It's foolishness to others. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the, God's wisdom from the foundation of the world. Listen, before sin even came into the world, God already had a plan of redemption in place. The Bible actually says that Jesus was slain from the foundations of the world. That's kind of a peculiar statement because we know like, no, it was 2,000 years ago, so it wasn't from the foundations of the world. No, the point is this. Well, there's two ways to look at this, actually. God knew what was going to happen. He had a plan of redemption in place before anything ever happened. The other way to look at this is God is not limited by time and space. He exists 2,000 years ago, he exists today, he exists in the future, and he was slain from the foundations of the world. The point is, God had a plan of redemption before the offense even happened. That is so good. I want to talk about, and the Bible also says that this mystery, the mystery of the cross, has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but it's now disclosed to us, the saints. It was the wisdom of God all along to redeem us in this way. But the forces of darkness did not know about it. It was God's plan. It's the wisdom of God. It is the power of God. I want to give you a picture today of what this wisdom of God and the power of God looks like. There are specifically nine great exchanges that happen on the cross. Nine great exchanges. I'm going to go through each one of these. Exchanges of the cross. Number one, Jesus was punished that we might be forgiven. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Number two, Jesus was wounded that we might be healed. Isaiah 53.5, it says this, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. You want to know why we pray for the sick around here? We want Jesus to get what he paid for. He paid for it on the cross. That's why we believe for it. That's why we stand for it. We want Jesus to get what he paid for. Number three, Jesus was made sin with our sinfulness that we might be made righteous with his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus became our sin. He, became, he didn't have sin. He became sin for us. So why did he do that? He, the great exchange. He took that upon himself that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you're a believer in Jesus, sin might be a behavior that you have done and maybe still do, 
But that is not your identity. Your identity now is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because that was given to you. Your identity changes at the cross. You're no longer identified as a sinner. You're identified as a saint. Amen? All right. Number four. Jesus died our death that we might share his life. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Number five. Jesus was made a curse that we might receive a blessing. Galatians 3, 13 through 14, it says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might, not, might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Jesus became a curse, the curse of sin. He became the curse for us that we might have the blessings of God. Number six, Jesus endured our poverty that we might share his abundance. Jesus endured our poverty, we might share his abundance. Second Corinthians 8, 9, it says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. There's some religious cows getting kicked right now. Listen, let me ask you a question. Is there, is there any poverty in heaven? Is there any sickness in heaven? Is there any depression in heaven, right? Jesus says, pray in this way on earth as it is in heaven. That is our mandate, to release heaven everywhere we go. There isn't poverty in heaven, and Jesus became impoverished so that we might enjoy his abundance. In our relationships, in our finances, right? In our health, like everywhere, that's what Jesus came to do. He Just receive that, just receive that. The religious spirit doesn't like that, but you should receive it. <laughs> Number seven, Jesus bore our shame that we might share in his glory. Hebrews 12, 2, it says, we must keep our eyes on Jesus who leads us and makes, us, makes our faith complete. He endured the shame of being nailed to the cross because he knew later on he would be glad he did it. Now he is seated at the right hand of God's throne. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. And now he's seated at the right hand of God. What was the joy? For the joy set before him. You and I were the joy set before him. He endured the cross because of you and me. We are the prize. We are the prize. That's, come on. That's good stuff right there. <clears throat> Number eight, Jesus endured our rejection that we might have his acceptance. Uh, Ephesians 1.6 says that he has made us accepted in the beloved. And number nine, our old self was crucified in him that our new man might come to life in us. Romans 6.6 6 says this, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. That is the cross. It is the wisdom of God, and it is the power of God to you and to me. To kind of bring this home and wrap it up, I want to say this resurrection life that we just talked about, we read about, this great exchange that we talked about, it is not... It is available for you today. It's, and it's not just, you know, okay, thank you, Jesus, for what you did, and I'm going to endure this life, and I'm going to go to heaven someday. Thank God for everlasting life. I'm thankful for that. But Jesus wants you to have abundance and overflow and resurrection power here and now in, in your life. He wants you to experience this power here and now. 
The goal wasn't just to get you into heaven, praise God for that, but the goal was to get heaven into you, right? That we could be the transformative agents in our world around us. It's good. Resurrection power is not just to get you in heaven, it's to get heaven into you. Here's the thing about, this was God's secret plan from the foundations of the world to redeem us in this way. And he actually believed that the enemy didn't know what was going to happen on the cross. The Bible actually says, had they known who Jesus was, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. And the enemy, he thought he had won a battle when they had crucified Lord Jesus. Remember just a week before, Matt, by the way, good job last week preaching that message on Palm Sunday. <laughs> Matt did an amazing job um, talking about Palm Sunday and, and the timeline there. It was, it was brilliant. He came into Jerusalem and they're, they're laying things at his feet. They're celebrating his Messiah. A week later, they're crucifying him. Like, that's, that's insane. The enemy probably thought, oh, they recognize him as the Messiah. He's going to take his throne. The enemy thought, now I've got him. A week later, he's being crucified, right? But what, what the enemy didn't realize is that he had set a trap for himself and he held a knife to his own throat without realizing it. Satan was defeated on the cross. Had Satan known that he was going to lose everything on the cross, that was where Satan was defeated, and that's where we won our victory. Had Satan known that, I believe he would have done everything in his power to stop everyone who was trying to kill Jesus. I think he would have tried to kill everyone that was trying to kill Jesus. Here's what I want to say about that. The enemy always overplays his hand. He always overplays his hand. He overplayed it with Christ, and he overplays it in your life as well. And when the enemy overplays his hand, it's time to call bluff. Because look out redemption. Amen? Here's why I believe that. Here's why I believe the enemy always overplays his hand. Romans 8.28 says this, we, For we know that in all things God works for good those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. God is working everything out for your good. I'm not saying God causes everything negative that happens in your life, but he is working it out for your good. So if it's not good, it's not the end because he works everything out for your good in the end. If it's not good, guess what? You're not at the end of the story yet. Keep going. It's going to be good. Amen? The Bible says God always leads us in triumphal procession. It doesn't feel like triumphal procession, you know, when you get hit by a car, rear-ended at 65 miles an hour, your wife breaks two vertebrae, our car's totaled, our youth director, Ben, is, you know, got a bad concussion. That doesn't feel like triumphal procession. But I know that in the end, if it's not good, it's not the end. And what the enemy meant for evil, he will, he will try to touch you. He will try to mess with you. What he meant for evil, God will always turn for good. And so when this, when this happened to us, immediately we're like, oh yeah, the enemy's got to pay for this. See, he runs the risk. The enemy runs the risk of touching you. To do, if he can discourage you, he will do that. If he can kill you, he would. But he also runs the risk of making Christ leak out of you, right? If you squeeze an orange, you get... So if you squeeze a Christian, you should get Christ, right? <laughs> he also runs the risk of making manifest the resurrection power in your life. I realize that like, some things are coincidences. Like, some things ha- bad things happen sometimes for no reason. I felt like this particular example where we got rear-ended was an attack on this church, an attack on our family, an attack on our kids, attack on you. The enemy does come against us in these ways. 
Even I had other pastors in the city like, man, you must be doing something that God really likes. You know, and the enemy's really upset about it. Even the pastor of this church, I talked to her on Monday. She's like, you guys must be making a difference because the enemy's trying to take you out. But when that happens, look at redemption because the enemy always overplays his hand. So this is what happens. This is what I'll give this, this will be a practical example for you guys. When something like this happens, I'm looking for redemption. So when I have to go to the junkyard to get stuff out of my car because my car was totaled, and I'm talking to a tow truck driver, I'm thinking, maybe this is the redemption. Maybe this guy is the one who needs to place his faith in Jesus, and I invited that guy to church, right? We prayed for his staff in the, in the hospital. We're looking for God to flip it. Emily was laying in her hospital bed for a couple days. She said, the enemy's got to pay in souls. We're going to get souls this Easter. We're getting souls, man. I want to say this is the same way in your life. The enemy always overplays his hand. Call his bluff. Call his bluff. What the enemy meant for evil, God will always turn for good. So when you, listen, so when your finances are under attack, right? When your kids are out of control, when you and your spouse keep fighting on the way to church, right? Come on, is it a coincidence you and your, fight, you and your spouse fought on the way to church? Because sometimes no. Sometimes that's the enemy trying to get in there to mess with you. When you lose your job, when our youth pastor gets a concussion, he can't compete in bike racing for a year. When other directors are getting blood clots and uh, high blood pressure and all these things going on in your life, what the enemy meant for evil, God can churn for good. God will flip it because he always works everything out for your good. The enemy put a knife to his own throat when, he put, when Jesus was on the cross. But it was our redemption. It was the power of God. It was the wisdom of God. Go ahead and put up that last picture. This is the look on someone's face when you call their bluff. <laughs> I want this to be the look on the enemy's face when he tries to touch you, when he tries to touch me. Because our redemption, our redemption is, is, a, is a cross. Our picture of victory is a cross. He thought he had won a victory. But just when he thought he won a victory, he realized that he lost it all. And it's the same way every time he tries to touch you, redemption, redemption, redemption. Don't just go through life thinking, uh, it's just hard and it's never good for me. And it's, no, nothing's going to work out. You know? And then you, listen, the enemy's trying to get you off point. He's trying to get you off the offensive. We're actually, by nature, we're not supposed to be defensive. We're supposed to be offensive, shining light into this world. So it's just, call his bluff because he overplays his hand. Amen. I'm going to pray for you guys. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this Easter. If you guys want to stand on your feet, you can. God, we thank you for this Easter, the Resurrection Sunday. I pray, Lord God, that we would have a new revelation, God, of the cross. We thank you that it was the mystery kept hidden from ages and generations, but now has been disclosed to us, the saints. It is the, it is the very wisdom of God. It is the very power of God. And I bless everyone here with that in Jesus' name. God, I, I pray we'd flip it and call the bluff of the enemy. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, before we dismiss, I want to just take a moment. I want to pause. If you're here in this place, I had talked about the nine exchanges of the cross, the things you can give to him and the things he gives back to you, the things that happened. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never given your heart to him, or maybe you have, and for whatever reason, You've gone, you've gone astray and you need to rededicate yourself this morning to him. I want to pray for you before you leave this place. You can leave this place knowing that you have assurance of salvation, that God lives in your heart and that you're heaven bound. 
Listen, God created you. He loves you profusely. And he has amazing plan, purpose, and destiny for your life. Yet something happened along the way. Sin entered into the world. And sin alienated us in our minds between us and God. And listen, you can, you can try for the next 100 years to be a better person, to try harder, work, your, work yourself up into right relationship with God. And you need to know it'll never be fixed that way because it cannot be fixed that way. You can't self-rescue from this problem. Father God knew this, and he was not content to leave you and me in that situation. This is why he sent Jesus to this earth. Jesus came. He died on the cross. He paid the penalty for your sin, my sin, and the sins of the entire world. And when we place our faith and trust in him, Jesus gives us, hear this, the gift, the gift that we can never earn, the gift we can never deserve. It is the gift of salvation. It is the gift of a restored relationship with our Father.